From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, July 11th. Andrea Brand remembers a time in Moab when campers would set whole trees on fire at their campsites. And at these huge party areas near Slick Rock, it wasn't unusual to find piles and piles of broken glass topped with even more trash, like furniture. You know, pretty regularly you would go to clean up a campsite after someone left and there would be broken tree limbs and sometimes there would be a couch. I mean, you could fill the back of a pickup truck just cleaning up two campsites sometimes. It was a pretty rowdy crowd back then. It was the late 1990s. Sandflats Recreation Area was just a few years old, and Brand says it was tough in those early days. She was showing up in a new uniform asking folks to clean up their act. And for people used to doing what they wanted to out there, it didn't exactly go over well at first. There was not as much um, buy-in from the locals yet. You know, we would have people paintball the booth, egg the booth, paintball sometimes people's tents. So it was, you know, it was definitely the Wild West. At the time, Sandflats Recreation Area was trying to develop campsites, picnic areas, toilets, attempting basic resource management for an area that Brand says badly needed it. Maybe the biggest controversy in those days was the moment managers started collecting fees. They needed a way to pay for those improvements. But a lot of people wouldn't pay. You know, you had to get payment from them. But we still tried to kill them with kindness. It took time for that approach to sink in and create a cultural shift. Sandflat staff and volunteers really had to keep showing up and make good on a promise. A promise to be self-sustaining. Back then, as it is now, all fees collected by Sandflats go right back into running the place. So we we depend on those fees for all of our operating costs, for our wages, our benefits, our supplies, our trash pickup, our um, toilet cleaning and toilet paper and pumping. So everything we do up there comes from the fees. Brand is now the director of Sandflats Recreation Area. Actually, she has been for 20 years. And she says through the lifetime of Sandflats, they've done what they can to be as efficient as possible with their budget. She remembers when she first became director, she needed picnic tables. And a picnic table at that time was like six or seven hundred dollars. Three hundred of it was shipping because they're so heavy. And fortunately, one of my neighbors that worked at Arches told me, oh, Arches is going to get rid of all these picnic tables. Um, because they got more money than they thought, so they're getting rid of them, and they're really fine. So I got at least 50 picnic tables from them, and we still have a lot of those tables up there. But you can't really rely on hand-me-downs for things like wages, toilet maintenance, parking lot surfacing. Brand estimates that if Sandflats does not begin to adjust their fees, it will have a negative fund balance by 2025. So in the last six years... Wages and benefits have gone up over 50%. Of course, we have hired some more people. We have another permanent position. But toilet pumping and waste disposal has gone up 63%, and trash has gone up 73%. And our visitation has gone up like 26% in the last six years. So, yeah, it doesn't always equal out. So Sandflats is rolling out fee increases over the next five years. Brand says that will maintain current service and infrastructure, as well as tackle future improvements. 
The first fee change will likely happen around Labor Day. We plan to drop our $5 day use fee and only have the $10 a week fee. She estimates moving to a weekly fee will bring in an additional $200,000. Eventually, Sandflats will also raise camping fees, and it will also raise the cost of the annual pass. But that one, she says, is a long ways off, at least for now. Public comment shows locals really want a locals pass, and they want tourists to pay more. But these reactions are minimal in comparison to the 1990s. Now folks want Sandflats to be sustainable for the future. Even the young so-called troublemakers from back in the day. A lot of those troublemakers grew up and they came back and they would they tell us, you know, hey, we were the troublemakers in the early 90s and now we're here with our wife and kids, you know, and, and we're sorry about that and we're so glad that <laughs> this place is still here, you know. And so I even have an employee that tells me he was one of the troublemakers years ago. <laughs> And he's a stellar employee now. He's got to make up for some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> for more on fee increases at Sandflats Recreation Area, check the show notes of today's news. The public comment period for the Bureau of Land Management's proposed public lands rule ended last week, and tens of thousands took the time to weigh in. The Mountain West News Bureau's Murphy Woodhouse has details on what commenters had to say. Congress tasked the BLM with managing millions of acres of public land for a number of uses, like energy development, livestock grazing, and recreation. The agency says the new rule would put conservation on equal footing with other uses. It would create conservation leases, a new tool that would allow applicants to carry out restoration or mitigation projects. More than 200,000 people commented over the last three months. It was a stunningly large response, considering this is, at the end of the day, a fairly technical rulemaking. That's Aaron Weiss, Deputy Director of the Center for Western Priorities, a public lands advocacy group that supports the rule. The group analyzed responses and found that over 90% of comments were supportive of the BLM's proposal. Weiss says the message from those who commented was clear. They want the rule to be adopted as proposed or for the conservation measures to be made even stronger. I'm Murphy Woodhouse. The Colorado River's big agreements are often hammered out behind closed doors by state-level policymakers. California uses more water than any other state, giving it a lot of sway in those negotiations. KUNC's Alex Hager has this profile of the Colorado River's newest and youngest power player. There are not a lot of places where temperatures near the triple digits are considered unseasonably cool. California's Imperial Valley is one of those places. Light breeze, 95, it's pretty nice. Dry. J.B. Hamby is enjoying the shade of a sisu tree on the edge of a field. Over his shoulder, sprinklers are ticking away over rows of onions. Every now and then, a tractor rumbles across the broiling asphalt of a nearby road. Hamby says this place is built on the dreams of people trying to make it in a hard scrabble desert. I think it shapes all of us, and I don't think I'm any different. Hamby grew up here, and now at only 27 years old, he's on the board of directors for the Imperial Irrigation District, overseeing a valley that produces about $3 billion in crops and livestock each year. And to do that, it uses more water than any other farm district or city along the Colorado River. The Hamby family has been in this valley since J.B.'s great-grandfather arrived during the Great Depression and dug ditches for the Imperial Irrigation District. Now, he's helping shape the rules that govern the Colorado River. I think every generation has an opportunity to 
do it better or worse than the prior one. And so my hope at least is being one representative of a generation about trying to make things better. Hamby was recently appointed to be California's top river official, putting him at negotiating tables with people generations his senior. Hamby plays his youth close to the chest and says it doesn't hold him back. And colleagues agree. Tina Shields is Imperial's water department manager. I think he's turned it into a positive and brought sort of a fresh look at things. So often you do things for so long and and you do them because you've always done them. And I think he can shake things up a little from that perspective. Hamby has to strike a balance between that fresh perspective and the needs of the people he represents. One of them is John Hawk, a farmer who took Hamby under his wing. Some of the growers in the valley look at the value of the water as far as dollars and cents. But uh, many of us in the farm, farm community look at it as the value of producing crops. And I think JB looks at it that way. Perhaps Hamby's biggest job is to dig in his heels and do what he can to keep Colorado River water in California. The state has the region's largest and most untouchable allocation, and you'd probably have to go to court to change that. He looks at the letter of the law, and he says it's written, this is legal, and let's support it. And I think uh, you can't ask for much more than that. And as pressure mounts on the drought-stressed river basin's biggest users to conserve, Hemby is drawing on lessons from the past. He was a history major at Stanford, but his late nights in the library didn't end with graduation. Thank you. And then the vault here has its own little combo lock and its own door that opens. It's a bank door. Hamby spends hours in this dusty room with stacks of old books and records going back more than a century. Here's a good one. Mm. Hamby is leafing through brittle, yellowed pages of old meeting notes and handouts from the Imperial Irrigation District. He says even decades ago, the issues and tensions that defined the West's struggles over water looked largely the same. Your own experience is a very painful and expensive teacher, so it's good to learn uh, off of other people's uh, expense. Whether Hamby's fresh perspective will help bring much change to a space defined by old laws and even older attitudes, only time will tell. In Imperial County, California, I'm Alex Hager. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, July 11th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.